Now, I have a, a, a very exciting announcement for you, and I want to remind you of one thing. Remember back in December, God began to speak to us about revival, and he gave us this verse in Isaiah 43. <clears throat> God says, for I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. You know, just last weekend with Casey Diaz, you obviously didn't come to all the services, but at all of our campuses last weekend, 47 people walked down and accepted Jesus Christ. And there was another 20 to 25 that pray, prayed the prayer, raised their hands, just didn't come down. To, now, that's a revival. God was amazing in that. And I have some news for you that God is doing amazing things. Remember what I read? I'm about to do something new. For many years, our campus in Sebastian was held at the Sebastian High School. Pastor Norm was there. And, and it was many years set up every week, every week, whatever, every week. And in 2018, June, just before that, God began to do supernatural thing for us. And he opened up an opportunity for the Sebastian campus to move from the high school with all the setup to rent a beautiful sanctuary in a church in Sebastian. Last weekend, the original congregation that is there on the same weekend, last weekend, Voided to join our congregation, and the church will become Calvary Chapel of Sebastian. Now, we, we worked on this for a long time, but it's all God. It's totally all God. So I want you to see, we have a, a video of what the campus looks like. It's on the main street of Sebastian. And by the way, there is no room in their 1045 service. They have no chairs. They have to set people out in the commons. Amen. Amen. So take a look at the picture of the campus that's there. It's huge. All the land, all the buildings are gorgeous. There's a lake in the back. There's kids' playground. This is just a beautiful setting and that's way better than every week setting up chairs for years. And you hear Norm say, amen. Okay. <clears throat> Here's families going into the building. It's gorgeous with their kids. There's the sanctuary. At, can we give a hand to God this morning? That is a miracle for their church to vote to join us. We will be Calvary Chapel of Sebastian, big sign right there. Amen, amen, amen. Now, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter six. As you know, when I just said to you that there's no room down there, we'll have other things we're gonna have to do, building and all kinds of stuff, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. Every one of our campuses now has a church building. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, what comes to your mind when you mention the word problem? And don't say coronavirus to me, please. It's crazy the hype that's done. Of course, it's a dangerous thing. But basically, I, when you sang that song, I just thought oh, we did at our campuses. I'll never be alone. Forget it. Don't be in fear. God's in control of everything. But life is filled with problems. Now, when I ask you what comes to your mind, don't get a list and go, Pastor Mark, I got a list here. Here's problem, 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 problem. Don't do that. But there are simply problems in every person's life. Unbelievers, believers, Christ followers. We have problems in our homes. We have problems in our marriages. We have problems at work, at school, with friends and relatives and money. Even problems in churches. Now, we've already seen, as we started the book of Acts, that Satan tries to tried to destroy the church from the outside. Remember, all the Jewish leaders putting the apostles in jail. He's trying to stop the church, but it didn't work. 
What you're going to see in chapter 6 today is something totally different. Satan tries to cause division within the church to shut it down. Now, here's something you need to write this morning. Understand this principle. One of the biggest problems in our lives is division. Division. Look what Jesus says. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Well, let me expand that just a little bit. A marriage that's divided against itself will never last. A country divided against itself is in great danger. Can I hear an amen right there? A church divided against itself cannot stand. Satan knew that. So what you see, I want you to read with me together in Melbourne, Vera, and Sebastian. Let's just read this together. God loves to unite, and Satan loves to divide. That's true in all of our lives, in every area of our lives. See, we're talking about spiritual warfare. A warfare is people divided on two teams, trying to kill the other people. This is exactly what Satan does. So that's normal from the beginning. And when you see that, where did the division start with Satan? In heaven. He said to the angels, I want to be above God. And it divided heaven. And God kicked Satan out of heaven. The problem is he came to this earth for us. And that division, man, when Adam and Eve sinned, their, their sin divided them between a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have that sin nature which gives to itself. We, we focus on ourselves rather than love, as God said, focusing on others. Now, you're going to see something. This church, you're going to see problem. Now, why the problem? When the early church started 2,000 years ago, in the upper room, there was 120 people filled with the baptism of the Spirit, and that was the church. When you look at it where we are now, just a few months later, there's more than 10,000 people, Jewish people, who have joined the Christian church. Can you imagine from 120 to 10,000 people? Now, when you see that, it's a principle that my dad told me. My dad was a pastor for 50 years. And I didn't really understand that when, when he gave me this when I was young. Of course, I never thought I'd be a pastor. I didn't need to understand it. But the principle is this. Take a look. This is my dad's principle. More people, more problems. If you have one child and now you have eight, does this resonate with you at all? Hello? More people, more problems. But my dad was never negative. He was a positive pastor. Look at this. More people, more blessings. Would you just turn to your neighbor right now? You can't touch them, but you can turn to them. <laughs> and just say, you're a blessing to me. Come on. You're a blessing to me. Amen. 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 Now, what I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to remind you very quickly, and I'll remind it again. As we teach this passage, you're going to see God's solutions. He has a solution for every one of your problems. Now, when you're thinking of your problems, not the church problem, as I said, marriage, relationships, work, neighborhood, maybe other Christians, anger, bitterness, hurt, unforgiveness, all those things. Just watch what God does to solve the problem so that you can leave here this morning not divided with another individual or the group of people or at work or the church, whatever it is. So the principles God's going to give us apply not just to this situation there, but it applies to every aspect of our lives. So let's go on and see what happens. Acts 6, verse 1. Here is the problem. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we're going to see two problems that God's going to solve. And he will show us the solutions. God's goal, when he sees the church divided, 
He absolutely has a goal. Notice on the overhead. For his church needs to be healthy, has healthy growth, not just numerically, but spiritually. Now, look at me just for a second so it makes sense to you. Every person in that church, all 10,000 plus or whatever number it was, they're all Jews. There's no Gentiles yet. There are no Gentiles. All Jewish people. Every one of those converts were Jews that came to Christianity. There were no Gentiles there. Now, so what is the problem? Here it is specific. You see it on the overhead. There were Hebraic Jews, Hebrew-speaking Jews, who were born and raised in Israel. And they were into the Jewish Israel culture. That's where they were raised. And now, then you have the Grecian Jews, Greek-speaking, who had been raised in other lands, other countries. They were more, Roman was the kind of the culture there. So they were more into the Roman culture. Now, remember these Grecian Jews, Greeks. These were the people that were Jews, but they came from other countries for the celebration of Pentecost and all of that that was happening there. So they didn't live there. So they're like second nature. They didn't know people. The, the Jewish people knew each other, but these people kind of feel left out. And so what you see here is, look in verse 2. So there's a problem, and it's the problem with widows. Now watch what verse 2 says. So the 12, that's the apostles, the leaders, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, you have to understand the word tables. The word tables is translated that, but it really refers to two things. One, tables for serving a meal. When you, get, when you have a Thanksgiving or whatever, you set the table and all the people, the family come and whatever. Of course, there's never division in families when they come for holidays. Yeah, right. And, and, and that table is a table with a full. The other word for tables is in, used in a monetary way. In other words, remember in the previous chap chapters, we saw that when all these people from other countries were part of the church, they didn't have any jobs. They didn't have any food. They didn't know how to have it. So the Jewish people collected money for them. Remember, they even sold lands and so forth. And the apostles would distribute that money so people could live while they were there. Now, the big problem was widows. The widows that came from the foreign countries, they didn't have Social Security. Their husbands didn't have a retirement plan. They were there in a strange land, and they had no way to make any money, no way to provide for themselves. So this tables, meaning money, was that money that was distributed, the apostles would turn it out. Now, what happened is this administrative procedure of gathering and dispensing these funds was basically for the widows to be done fairly. But as the church grew, some of the Grecian widows were being overlooked in the daily administration of the food. Now, there's no indication that people were trying to do that. Well, they don't like those people. They don't speak our language. They're from another country. We're not in. Not at all. It was just the masses of people that had all of a sudden come. And the Grecian women, the widows, were feeling like they were simply left off. That rapid growth caused a problem. Now, what happened was the women were vocal. These Grecian women were vocal. Look at the overhead. The problem, jealousy, complaining in the church, where would it lead? Division. I'm getting fed. I'm not getting fed. How come you're getting fed? I'm a Christian just like you. What's going on here? So you can see how Satan would take something very simple, human mistake, just lots of people, not, not made to be that way, and Satan will just say it, go ahead, cry, complain. Now, nothing wrong with complaining that they're missing because it was true. They needed help big time. Now, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, look at the solution in verse 2. And I have it on the overhead because I like the New Living Translation, you guys here in Vieira and Sebastian. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. Can you, 
Can you imagine calling a meeting for 10,000 people? And the goal is going to be to get everybody on the same page. Lord, help us. 10,000. And they said, here's the apostles, we apostles should spend, here's a key word, our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now, you have to understand, these people, the apostles, are not saying, look, we're holy pastors. We don't feed tables. That was not at all what they were saying. They weren't above them at all. You'll see that they're saying is, we're going to have a problem what God called us to do, to be pastors, to teachers, to oversight the flock. We, if we have to do that, we're not going to have time to do what we need to be doing that God told us to do. So, watch this. These Apostles are pastors, they're teachers, they're evangelists, they're counselors for the growing body. They're really shepherds in a spiritual way, not in an everyday practical way. But they couldn't be involved in these practical matters because they needed time for their spiritual priorities. Now, what did they do when they knew the problem was made known? When they heard these Grecian women saying, look, they're missing us. We are not being treated properly. They didn't ignore the problem. They didn't deny the problem. And basically, they knew if they ignore it, there's going to be a problem in that church big time. It's not going to get settled. It's going to get worse and worse and worse at the start of the church. Now, so the next thing they do is they pray and ask God for his solution. Take a look at this. Godly leadership prays for God's solution for the church's problem. Now, let me just stop and bring it back. Forget the church. Let me bring it back to your life when we have problems. If you don't, in your marriage, if there's an issue, and you don't admit it, you'll never solve the problem. If there's a problem with a relationship, and you don't admit there's a problem, you'll never solve a problem. Second, if you admit it, but try to solve it with your own wisdom, it will not work. These people go to God. The apostles know God, we've never been in a church like this. We've never seen 10,000 Christians. They're all new. We don't know what to do. How are we going to keep both people happy, all these groups happy? We don't know. We need your help, God. That's not a bad thing to do. By the way, you, the way you became a Christian, you admitted you were a sinner. Hello? And then when we did that, we can ask God to forgive us. If you don't admit you're a sinner, you'll never get saved. Repentance is the first step of salvation. So the apostles go, Okay, we got a problem here. And let me just share you, all through the last 28 years, the end of this month will be a church 28 years. I can't tell you how many solutions that we had to come up with from God as we orchestrated from the beginning of the church all the way through. Even the Sebastian thing, the last few years, we worked through it. What do you want to do, God? How's that going to work? And the elders, we pray and seek and ask God for his wisdom. So in your problems, don't ignore God. God has the solutions to these things. That's exactly what they do. And when you see that happens, the wisdom of God comes from the word of God and from prayer. Now, you know what James said in the Bible because the people in the Bible had the same problems you and I do. Look what James says. If you need wisdom, ask our stingy God. (laughs) And he might give it to you if you're really good. Is that what it says? No, he's generous. Well, why should I bother God? You're not bothering God. You have a relation. He's your father. He's your heavenly father. Notice, when you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and let's say it, he will give it to you. I don't have time, but you could go on in that chapter, and it says this, don't start doubting. Well, I know I prayed. I know he'll give it to me. Pretty soon, you're a roller coaster, and the faith is gone. Don't do it. Believe what it says. He will give you wisdom. Doesn't matter. The problem is not a problem for God. He's the all-wise God. He knows how to solve it. So you're going to see God's solution here, which is absolutely fantastic. Now watch. When you see that verse, here's what I just want you to say. You might want to write it down. Just put it on because you're going to need this when you're facing all kinds of problems. When we, not the church, individuals are facing problems, pray and discover God's solution. See, 
Effective solutions come from God's wisdom, not our wisdom. It comes from God's wisdom. He knows the whole deal. He knows the hearts of all the people. He understands the basis of the problem. Now look at verse 3. Brothers, here's what God said. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility, taking care of the, collecting the money, buying the food, making sure the, the widows get paid uh, food, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the two priorities that the pastors knew, those apostles knew, was this. Pastor teachers, their first priority is to pray. Hear God's wisdom. What does he want, God? And then, of course, the second is teaching the word of God. So the apostles were saying, it wouldn't please God to shortchange these priorities God's given us and try to spend our time setting up tables. We can't do both. It just won't work. Now, remember, the church was growing in numbers and maturity, and the apostles were pleasing God because they kept these priorities. They were teaching. They were praying for God's wisdom. Now, there, th these were God's ways of growing the church. Notice, Satan knew the best way to stop. If he can get the pastors with no time to study and diminish and dilute the word of God, it will stop the growth of the church. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, the second thing, if, I get the, if they get the pastors involved in every aspect of, of the church, the pastors will be so busy they'll have to neglect their main responsibilities, teaching, praying, and the guaranteed result, the church growth would stop. I just want to say this to you. Thank you, as a church at all of our campuses, so much for allowing our pastors time to study and pray so that we can feed you spiritually and make sure you are cared for. We want to teach people the Bible so you know how to do life right. Can I just say this to you? You know, I was raised in a church. My dad was a pastor for 50 years, and we lived in the suburb of Detroit, Lincoln Park. And you know it gets cold in Detroit. And with cold comes snow. And I was the pastor's son. My brother was also pastor's son. And when it would snow, and the church walks were filled with snow, guess who got called <laughs> to shovel the walks? You're looking at him right here. And I tried to say to my dad, you're bigger than me. You're stronger than me. Why do you want me to shovel the walks? Well, that didn't go very far. I wasn't a, pe a pastor. When I did that, what did I help my dad with? Time to what? Study and pray. See, I didn't realize that. My dad wasn't saying, I'm lazy. I'm not going to do that work that's below me. No, he just couldn't do everything. And that's just the way it was. And I just want to thank you as a church. You give us time. Past, our pastors. You know, in those days, my dad was the only pastor. We, we had 500 people in the 60s. Can you imagine that in a church? But my dad was the only pastor. There were no other pastors. You know how it was in those days. It was different. And if you needed somebody to go to the hospital, my dad and mom would go. That's what happened. And, but you guys are amazing. We have a hospital ministry. We have a prison ministry. We have all of that stuff. So just thank you so much. Now, you say, well, Pastor Mark, why do you need time to study? <laughs> well, because I'm a very simple guy. I'm not a smart guy. I'm a very simple guy. Do you know that on the average for me, by the way, we have 18 pastors at our campuses for youth and ministry and all those other things. Now, one of my goals, obviously, over time is to raise them up. That's why you hear them from time to time speaking here. Because if you never learn to speak in a big crowd like this, you'll never learn to speak, period. Now, it takes me usually 20 hours to do a teaching for this. That's why I'm not very smart. But most of my time after I get through the doctrinal part, here's what I try to say. God, what do you want your people to know? to do and feel when they walk out the door at the end of a sermon. 
See, if you walk out there going, Pastor Mark, that was a great sermon. That was really great, great to understand about Sebastian. That's great. No, you want to hear, what did God say to you while I was teaching? That takes the time to make it practical so you can go, okay, I can chew on that. I get it. Now, what are, the, what are we talking about today? Any problem you have, any problem you have, God has a solution. Do you get it? Already you should have heard that from me numerous of times, numbers of times ago. God loves to unite, and Satan what? Loves to divide. So when you see division, who's behind it? It isn't God. It's Satan. And there we are in spiritual warfare. So thank you for all of our pastors. You give us that ability to do that. And that's what these guys were just saying. Thank you. God says, get seven of these guys. They'll take the load off you. You keep doing what I ask you to do. Teach the word of God. Shepherd the people. And let these people delegate to them. Now, you know this principle. I've managed in lots of places, churches, and of course, many times in the pharmacy, all kinds of people, millions of dollars and all those things. Look at this. To be effective and efficient, delegation is essential. That's just the only way it is. So here's what you see. The apostles would serve. They're still serving. I'm still serving by teaching the word When the seven would serve by dispersing the money or arranging the food. So God's solution, that solution right there, will bring unity in the church. No more complaining. Everybody's taken care of. Now, remember, as God continues to grow our campuses, we will have many more areas where you can serve. But I just want to say, we have like 4,000 volunteers in our campuses. Way to go. Way to go. You know, sometimes you can clap yourself because your germ on the left hand is the same as the germs on the right hand. Let's praise you. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Can you imagine us trying to do church with no volunteers? You have no idea. You say, well, Pastor, you just hire those people. Good, if you'll give more money. You can't pay all those people. They're volunteers. Look what... This verse says, for you have been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. It's all about me. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So every Christ follower is called to serve one another in love and make God look good. Let me explain to you. You know, last weekend when, uh, when we had the, all the crowds, the huge crowds with Casey Diaz here and all that kind of stuff, you know, massive, all the services, all the campuses just filled with people. Let me say, do you know that people parking cars is just as important as a pastor teaching the word? So thank them when you go out, especially on the rainy days, the cold days, all that. Do you know from the parking lot to the opening doors, how about our guest services people on our campuses? Yeah. They come in. They're here early. They open doors. People come in. Uh, Do you know when you look around you, the church is clean? It's not fancy, but it's clean. Well, who does that? Many volunteers. Some workers, of course. But think about that. Why do we want a church to be clean? Would you like your kids' ministry to be clean? Spotless. We make sure the toys are wiped down and all that. Not about the virus thing, but that's just natural stuff that we do. Because we want to make God look good. When you come in here, you ever notice the trees, the shrubs, the lawns, the flowers? You know who handles that? One or two volunteers do all of that. Praise God. How about teaching your children? You know, when parents bring children to the church for the first time, it's a new church. Usually what happens, because I've followed this for all these years, the parent will say to the child afterward, did you like the Sunday school? And what if the child would say this? Oh, I did like it. It was clean. There was a lot of kids there. It was really good. But when the teacher started teaching us, He said, you have to understand, I hate children. (laughs) That would really work, wouldn't it? No, we have people that love children. And you know what happens after that? Half the time, those kids get the parents back. Parents don't come back, but the kids say the next weekend, we're going to church, aren't we? Uh, Forget it. Praise the Lord. So when you see, we have a bookstore that has great books. When you get hungry, you can walk out and be fed. You got good coffee. You got good thing. All of these things are happening because of what? Volunteers. We're serving one another. And I just want to say thank you. By the way, I don't know exactly from Norm, but 
you guys yesterday, we had like 700 volunteers with Compassion Day from all campuses. That's awesome. Awesome. Pastor Norm and his team allowed that to happen. Now, when you see that going on, by the way, video, pictures of me. You know, every weekend we have about 1,000 people watching online from all over. Well, who does that? Look at the sound people, the video people, all of those people, technical people. It goes like this for us. Whoop! Right over our head. Programming, all of that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And anybody glad you got air conditioning in here this morning? Yeah, why? Because we have a maintenance department know how to keep our buildings and equipment in good control. Amen. So notice here, a healthy church is a unified team who loves to serve others with excellence. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now look at the qualifications. The, decide, the apostles didn't come up with the qualifications for these seven. God did. Look at this. Men with godly character. So the people looking around, they had to know these people. Godly character simply means this. Good reputation. The everyday walk of these men had to match the term Christian. Christian means Christ-like. Men who were known in the community, at work, at home, in the neighborhood, as men of integrity. What they looked like in the church, how they responded in the church, is the same everywhere. They were men of integrity. You see, sometimes, the, and it's really important, you don't, we don't have time to go through it, but just a sample. In Timothy, they tell us what leaders, what pastors and elders, what qualifications they have. And almost every one of those qualifications starts with character. Only one was about their charisma and their gifting. See, character matters because we represent Jesus Christ. You want honest people that are real, and that's what God asked for. If you're going to feed those people, you've got to get people, men of character and men of integrity. You can trust them in every area of their life. Next, these seven had to be men full of the Holy Spirit. Now, how would you know if these men, which you probably didn't even know necessarily, would be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, because when they knew they could be one of these, they put a hat on that said Calvary Chapel of Melbourne. <laughs> or they got their Holy Spirit shirt out with a dove on it. You can vote for me. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no, that isn't it at all. Now, as we continue to the book of Acts, being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's lots of signs for that. I'll read you a few. But as we move through, you'll discover this. That being filled with the Holy Spirit is directly connected to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be in Galatians and show you. If you say you're full, then you're going to be very fruitful in your life. So let me read you kind of what Jesus would be saying, God would be saying to what that, that looks like. Here it is. There would be love in action with these guys. A boldness to witness, of course. That's why the Spirit filling a joyful and thankful lifestyle. And I got to sit at the table for you gals again. Why can't you do it yourself? Yeah, that's a person full of the Spirit. And a fervent worship of God. And overall, a willingness to serve. That's a picture of a Spirit-filled man. Now next, here's the big one. Men full of wisdom. The men needed to be spiritually wise but they needed practical wisdom to handle these material needs. Organized, had that kind of skill in their life. Now, what happened when these seven, just picture your campus where you're at, and seven people come up here and they're introduced to you. What I see in this first five is a miracle to me. Look at the first line. This proposal pleased the whole group. Now, when's the last time you saw a group of people trying to solve a problem and 100% come up with the same solution? Just like our politics today. Everybody agrees. Yeah, right. Well, look at what the Bible says. This was God's solution. Look how beautiful the solution is. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. So God's solution 
with those requirements for the seven brought unity and defeated Satan's goal of division. See, that was God's solution. That wasn't man's solution. And for those people, they're sensing, they're sensing, okay, this is God. This is God. These aren't the apostles' wisdom. This is God's wisdom. So we just approve of it. It's 100%. We're all for it. Now, looks what they say here. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorius, Nicander, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So it pleased the whole group, and that was God's solution. Now, these seven men chosen by the church, this is very interesting. Remember, the people that were hurting were the Greek widows. They were kind of overlooked. They felt people that weren't caring for them. There was a jealousy there. There was complaining. The seven men chosen by the church all had Greek names. Now, that's interesting because most of the people would have been Hebraic. They were Jewish people in their land. Now, we don't know this, but basically a lot of commentators say this. The church, in a display of love and unity, may have chosen them to rectify the apparent imbalance involving the Jewish women getting it and the Greek women not getting it. So all seven. That's a beautiful picture. Now, Notice what you see back here. You see in verse 5, Stephen is chosen, and Philip is chosen. Now, as we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see those two are going to be raised to a different position. Philip's going to become an amazing pastor. Stephen's going to become the first martyr, but he's bold. He knows the word. And here's what I want to say to you. When those seven came, and they came up front, you'll see that in a moment, they didn't say, I have to handle a table? I want to be a pastor like you, Peter. Don't start me down in some basic little thing. But they didn't say that. There's a principle from Jesus about it. Look at this. I'll read it to you. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Now listen carefully. You have been faithful with a few things. Little things. I will put you in charge later of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, all seven were humble, and they learned to serve and be faithful in the area God had assigned them to. They weren't complaining about that. I need a bigger position. I want people to notice me. They didn't that at all. See, many people want to bypass the little areas of life. But what Jesus says, be faithful in the little things. And then... I'll honor that because I know you're going to be faithful in that. Now, let me give you a little background for myself. I learned to teach by teaching Sunday school. I never thought I'd be a pastor, but I did that, and then I taught the youth. And when we moved here, I taught the youth. And many of you know Jimmy, uh, our great guitarist up here. Uh, I taught him in Sunday school. Is that amazing? Yeah. And eventually, God got us together. And I just want to say this. When I taught the children, what was I trying to do? My whole purpose in teaching children was to learn how to keep their attention. If you can keep a kid's attention, you can, be, you can be right with your sermon. Now, I have the privilege today of teaching adults. And try to keep your attention while I'm teaching. Thank you for paying attention. You said, Pastor Mark, you didn't see me texting. Yeah, but God did. Okay, now let's move on. <laughs> I'm just fun. By the way, thank you for paying attention. You know, there's a lot of people that come, and I've been trying to shorten my sermons just a little bit, maybe five minutes for the other campuses too. But I've heard so many times over the last 28 years, well, I'm not going to go to that church. That church teaches like 45, 50 minutes. That's crazy. But I've heard a lot of people say, it's already over? I'm learning it. I'm getting it. You know why? That's the practical things that God gives me. It's not me. Because, see, if you're learning and it makes sense to you, you're learning. And you leave. If I cut it down to 20 minutes, what would that be like? You'd have like one point and that's it. 
and you'd walk out of here discouraged. So I just want to say to you, thank you for paying attention to God's word. So here's what I learned over those years. Take a look. In every area of ministry, be faithful serving where God has you. I've learned that when God uses us, whatever behind us, he, nothing of waste. When God places you in a place to serve, it's never wasted. All those years I was a hospital pharmacy director. I learned to handle millions of dollars to minister to the administrators all the way down to the doctors. Had Bible studies at the, at the hospital. I did all those things. I learned all about hospitals, going to hospitals, ministering to people in the hospitals. Blood doesn't affect me. Surgeries didn't affect I worked on many heart, open heart things, and people just having trouble in the ER and all the things. None of that was wasted. Little did I know I'd be a pastor and use all of that. But see, don't say to God, well, I'm not in the right place. No, if he's got you there, you're in the right place. Just serve him. Just don't say, well, I want to be raised up there. No, you don't. In his timing, if he wants, he'll do it. And you're going to see Philip and Stephen. Don't complain about it, but God's going to use him in a different area. So thank you for just being basically patient where you are, where you're serving God. Now, what's going to happen at the end? Look at this, verse 6. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So Vieira and Sebastian, the apostles approved these men. The people chose them, but the apostles are the leaders. So they absolutely had to put their stamp. Okay, we know these seven. It's okay. And they asked God for help. So they approved these men and prayed for God's guidance and continued wisdom. This was a public act in front of all the people that these men are willing to do the responsibility that God had given them. Now, what two problems did we solve today? Did we see solved here from God? What was the first problem? Let me mention a word. Widows. Is that the first problem? Yeah. What's the second problem? The pastors, if they have to do it, there's no time for them to teach. Am I right? So the problem number one was the widows that weren't getting fed. Problem number two, if the disciples... The apostles have to do this. The church is going to hurt because they have no time to study and no time to pray. So both of those were solved. So look at the verse, next verse. What's the first word? So. What's it mean by so? So since both of those problems are solved, what's the result? What's the outcome? Look at it. It's so powerful. Look at this. So the word of God did what? The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Some of your translations will say this, multiplied. Remember what we read in the early parts of Acts? It was always added to the church, added to the church, added to the church. You know what this is? Multiplied. Wow. And a large number, look at this, of priests became obedient to the faith. So the apostles were able to have the time to keep praying and teaching the word. What happens? The church is healthy. There's no division. These problems are solved. Their problem is solved. And as a priority, the church just expands incredibly again. Consistent taught of the word and prayer results in biblical growth. Now, look what God's wisdom did. And they can do this in your life with your problem, whatever it is. Take a look. God's solution to these two problems about these outcomes. Unity in the church. That was the goal. That's why it's in yellow. That was the whole goal. Number two, physical and spiritual needs are met. Number three, people serving as a team in their area of gifting without complaining and griping. Thank you again. Last, spiritual and numerical growth. What does that mean? God's mission continues. See, that was the whole goal. State wants to cause division and all that kind of stuff, complaining, griping, so that the church, people walk into a church and they go, man, these people are against each other. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times people have said this to me, and it's not about me. People will come to a church, and they will say to me later on after they've come as a guest, when I walked into that, your campuses, I felt the Spirit of God here. Now, is that about us? 
No, it is about you. It's your unity. See, when there's division, you don't feel the Spirit of God. You feel Satan. Something's wrong here. And if you've ever been, you have to tell you this, in, in 28 years, we'll be at church in 28 years at the end of March. You know what God's done for this? We've never had a split in our church in 28 years. Now that is God. That is God. Because it's his church. That isn't about me. If you, come, if you have a background a lot in churches, I guarantee you I don't even want to raise your hand. You've been in a church split. You've been in a problem. And God's blessed us. Why? Because we honor him. We get his wisdom. We try to go and do. We're just humans. And we could blow it really bad. So I want to thank you that we haven't had that. So what is to me is the big thing. Notice it, the, the church isn't just growing. But look what you see next. I would like to say to you today, well, Pastor Mark, can I have all my problems solved like that? Will they all go away forever? Yes, when you get to heaven. Uh, not, so what do you do between now and then? You pray, and you go to God. More people, more problems. Stop raising children. That's it? No, that's not it. That's not it. I want a small church with 12 people in it. God help you. No, you don't. More people, more Christians, more people in heaven with us. Amen? Now, let me just say this. When I talk to you today about that, if the disciples never admitted there was a problem in the church, you'd have no solution. If you're here, why did the Jewish priests, not just Jewish people, why did the Jewish priests become Christians? Because they were tied up in dead religion, rules, regulations, and rituals. And they see all these other Jewish people getting together, 10,000 of them, with joy and peace. Not perfect, but just showing the love of God, helping the poor, doing all. When they saw that, they went, uh, I need that because I'm not getting that. And so what did they do? They knew needing that was due to the person of Jesus Christ. And they joined the These are the priests of the Jewish religion. They transferred, didn't care what other people said. They become followers of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you here, let me just say this to you at our campuses. Like the Jewish people, you may be very religious. You believe in God like they did. But you've never turned your life over to God and admitted you're a sinner. And if you admit you're a sinner you already know the solution to your sin is Jesus Christ. You can't get to heaven by being religious. Nothing wrong with being religious. As long, good people come to church. I appreciate that. Got water baptized. Give my money. I serve. Wonderful. But that doesn't get you to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven people go to heaven. And these Jewish people were trying to do... Remember, they were trying to do all these works, but basically it didn't work. And so they got... What's our solution to sin? I am a sinner. What's the solution? And they've, they've discovered from the Christians the solution is Jesus. So I'm going to pray for a morning. Would I ask everybody at all campuses just to bow your head for a moment? Now pray for the family that we have, the people that are here right now. For some of you here, as we saw last weekend, Almost 50 people admitted they needed Jesus Christ. Some of those people admitted they walked away from God. And they got divided in their personal relationship. They went down the wrong way and they never came back. And they made a recommitment to the Lord. If you're here this morning, the first thing you have to do is admit you have a problem in your life. And it's a problem of sin. You have never ever turned your life over to Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sin, and ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm asking you to pray this prayer in your seat right now, and then I'll tell you what I want you to do later. So just pray this prayer at all of our campus. By the way, if you online and you're watching, there's a number you can call. You can pray this prayer with me right now and then call that person.
Here's what I want you to pray. Dear God, I know I have a problem. It's sin. Sin simply means you do what you want to do, not what God wants you to do. And this morning, God, I want the solution to my sin problem. And I know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. Jesus is my solution. And God, I want to have a relationship with your son, Jesus. So today, I confess my sins. And today, I put my trust in my faith in none other than Jesus Christ. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the faith. And you promised that if I would believe in you and believe that you were resurrected, I will be born again. I'll have my sins forgiven. I'll have my sins forgotten. And I'll have a brand new start in a relationship that's healthy with God. And last, I'll have the guarantee of heaven forever. In Jesus' name. And let me just say this while our heads are still bowed. If you prayed that prayer, two things. In a moment after our last song, we're going to share in communion. Communion means communing with somebody that you have a relationship with. And that is Jesus. You're welcome to take communion with us. And second, at the end of the service, here in Melbourne and Vieira Sebastian, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or to make a recommitment, I want you to come up front to your pastor in Vieira. That's what TJ, Sebastian, Pastor David. Right here, I'm Pastor Mark, right over to the left of here. And we have a Bible we want to give you. It's a New Believer's Bible. It's in the New Living Translation. And it's very simple to show you the next steps, how to follow Jesus Christ. It's free. We want to give that gift to you. So at the end of the service, I want you just to walk up at your campus. Remember, Jesus said this in the Bible. If you deny me before men, in other words, if you don't want to admit that you needed Jesus, Jesus gives us a warning that God will deny you. See, being a Christian isn't something that's hidden. It's open. Never be afraid to say, God changed my life today. The biggest step you can ever make is to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So please come up at the end of the service, and you'll be excited as you leave this building. The problem is solved, and the solution, his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.